So please welcome Wendy C. Ortiz. Thank you. This is the first time that I've read at Skylight Books, so this is really awesome. I've read somebody else's work here before, but this is the first time I've had a book launch here, and thank you all for being here. It makes me so happy. I'm seeing more faces than you see earlier. Thank you. Um, so I want to start um, by introducing Amanda Yates Garcia. She is an artist, writer, witch, healer, and the Oracle of Los Angeles. Recent performance rituals include capitalism, exorcism at human resources, and devouring patriarchy at the Women's Center for Creative Work. Her writing has been featured in publications such as Black Clock and the Rough Magic Anthology. Amanda hosts her bi-monthly show, The Oracle Hour, on K-Chung Radio, teaches the Magical Praxis Monthly Mystery School, and performs private rites of healing and empowerment at her magical studio in West Adams, which I've been fortunate enough to receive. So I am so happy to welcome Amanda Yates Garcia. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming out. Thank you, Wendy, for having me, inviting me out here to do this brief ritual with y'all. Um, do you guys practice magic? You all witches out there? We have some witches in the house? <laughs> Fantastic. So um, we're just going to do a really quick ritual to help us banish all of the negative energy that's sort of been clinging to us. There's been a lot in the air, a lot of bad juju, a lot of bad mojo floating around. And so we're just going to do a quick clearing of that energy. Okay, so join me in this practice. Just take a second. First of all, just arrive in this room. Arrive in your body. Just be here right now for a moment. It's good to start by listening to the sounds that you hear, seeing how many you can distinguish, noticing the temperature of the room, the feeling of your air on your skin. And take a moment to really take pleasure in this moment and being here together at this book reading it's a pretty great place to find yourself in in life. A lot of worse places you could be. Okay, so. Ato. Malku. Visualize the person, a person, who has been bothering you. 
that might be a public figure. <laughs> it might be somebody personal. All right, and you're going to see them before you. You can see them hovering in their full form just right in front of you. And you're going to see all the things about them, like maybe you might notice their hair color, they might have like orange skin. <laughs> there might be something about them that's distinguishing. They might be wearing a baseball cap, whatever. <laughs> So you're going to see them there, they might look otherwise, hovering in front of you, and you're just going to let all their energy that has been like clinging to you and sticking to you all over your body just be pulled out. Just visualize it being pulled out and being given back to that person. You don't want their energy anymore. So it's going to go out to them, and you're just going to see it evaporating off of you like water in the heat going back to that person and then you're just going to sort of use the power of your visualization to turn them into kind of a ball of dung like a ball of of earth or clay and it's hovering there and then you're just going to Visualize it dropping straight down into the earth, into the core of the earth, where it would be generate, regenerated, recycled, transformed into new life. So see that figure dropping into the center of the earth. And allow yourself to feel what that feels like to have that energy go. And then you're going to see, and you can sort of feel it on the top of your head if you want can take your arms and feel the energy, a ball of light above your head, and that's your energy. That's your light. That's your radiance. And you're going to bring it down in front of you so that it's hovering there in front of you like a ball of light, an orb of light, your own personal sun. And it's hovering right in front of your heart. And that's your energy, and it feels good. It's healthy. It's vital. It all belongs to you. And now you're going to send that out. So you're going to send it out to your work. You're going to send it out along the freeways. You're going to send it out to Target. You're going to send it to the grocery store. You're going to send it to all the places you were when you grew up, your own family home. And it's going to collect your energy and take back all your energy that got fragmented off through all the daily microaggressions that we experience all day long. So you're just going to send it out Send it along the freeway. Send it to your ex's house. Send it to that restaurant where that bad thing happened. Send it all around. And then let it come back and let it come back over your head and pour back through the crown of your head. Down through your crown into your third eye. Fill fill up your brain. Wash the tension out of your jaw, through your throat. Let yourself speak that truth and into your heart where it meets an ocean of love, your own ocean of love, and let it wash through you. And so in that feeling, holding that feeling inside yourself, we're going to manifest, we'll banish all the rest and surround ourselves with a garden of angels. Mal-kuh.
Leilam Jaima Raphael before us Gabriel behind us Michael to the right of us Ariel to the left of us for about us shine the pentagrams and in the center column the six rayed star All right, you're all set. Thank you so much. Um, <clears throat> so you heard a little bit already about Henry Hope, um, but I'm going to just say also that I'm super proud to be a press mate of his. He is my favorite boy witch. He was a child in the... <laughs> yes, as well. Henry Oak was a child in the South and an adult in New York and California. He's the author of Genevieve's, winner of the Subito Pro Press Prose Contest, forthcoming 2017, and the Book of Endless Sleepovers, which I hope you pick up tonight. Some of his stories appear in The Collagist, Gigantic, Winter Tangerine, and Carve. He co-created and directs Entertext, a living literary journal. Please welcome Henry Hoke. Thank you, Wendy. Um, cool. So um, I'm going to read a very old piece, but for you to connect with it, it needs a little setup. So, here are the things you need to know. Humans are the only mammals that can see the color red. A bull can't see red. Where, he see, where we see red, it sees blue. And blue means go. The only other color a bull can see is gray. Gray means stop. And when it sees red, blue, it heads toward you. Just coming at you, thrilled to be free from a world of just gray. Even to be gored, to watch the liquid pour out of its sides, going. When I was four years old, they came out with a new doll that looked just like me, and it was called the Exploding Henry Hoke Doll. And my mama was totally opposed to anything mass-produced like that. She preferred the handmade, passed-down things. So I didn't have an Exploding Henry Hoke Doll, but my friends did. These dolls were very fragile, as you might guess, so my friends never ever let me or anyone else play with theirs. Of course, some days I'd end up in toy stores and see shelves lined with exploding Henry Hoke dolls, and I'd get to grasp one, still restrained in its cardboard half package, still with the pin in. It was the perfect doll, not really all boy stuff or girl stuff. It wasn't advertised as talking, but you got the sense it could speak if it wanted to, if you held its hand just right, and that was exciting, and I loved it, even in these brief aisle visitations. And my neighbor's mother, my savior, saw this love and bought me one. My mama was, as you can guess, not happy. And so she hid it somewhere in the house and said, Honey, if you can find it, you can play with it. But in all the long years I lived in that house, I never did find it. Though I felt I had it, sort of. 
What you need to know is that we daydream best in the middle of battles. Back then, the exploding Henry Hoke doll had never actually been known to explode, but they had to include that for legal reasons. Because once you took it out of the package and removed the pin, you were agreeing to an inevitability. Some kids kept the pin in, but where was the fun in that? You hold my hand and I say, I'm one of the maybe kids. Buy more maybe kids. You hold my hand and I say, I'm at the microphone. I'm sorry. You hold my hand and I say, all my friends are in syndication. The dolls were only released once, a limited edition. Unlike Cabbage Patch Kids, the Exploding Henry Hoke dolls all had the same name. But they still had something unique to each and every doll, and that was just how long it would be until... (laughs) What you need to know is there's no such thing as a male counterpart. The walls don't block noise, they're just another noise, a louder one. You're missing the bridge troll for the trees. I suspect that my mama pulled the pin on the exploding Henry Hoke doll that was meant for me. And all these years in Long John's before bed, my mama has been taking it out of its hiding spot and holding its hand to hear what it has to say. The phrase life-size can have so many different meanings. One Manhattan early morning when I was a little over 20, I woke up to the sound of my abrasive door buzzer and went downstairs to find an army of exploding Henry Hoke dolls on the stoop. I took the closest one up in my arms, and for the first time I really held it and felt complete. The one I'd chosen to grasp seemed like it didn't want to be separated from its identical buddies, so I returned it to the mob. All alive and out of their packages, I could hear their ticking, ticking counting towards something. I ran upstairs and huddled against an open window until I heard the street sweeper come by. And when I walked out later, the sidewalk was clear, and it was just another caffeine-free day. What you need to know is I am not a bull, but I can't tell the difference between a peach. A malfunctioning doll might say lots of things that we'll later regret. My mama holds its hand and it says, you think you're safe being a silhouette. Holds its hands and it says, we were at the Grand Canyon last week. I have never been to the Grand Canyon. My mama holds its hand and it says, the moon is mine alone. A lullaby called, you will make money in your sleep. We were on the balcony and she was blind. We were on a balcony and he could see. The only encounters that mean anything are brief. A year ago I found the doll, the exploding Henry Hoke doll that had been purchased just for me. My mama pretended I was helping her look for something else, but we found my doll instead. Just like she wanted. It was in a place she knew I'd never find until she really died. Not just died in the way she'd threatened forever, of shame or inconvenience. Apparently all the other dolls had gone off sometime in the 90s, whether kids had pulled the pin or not. The pin was just for show. It wasn't going to halt anything. So this last of the intact dolls was quite an inheritance. But I didn't search collector's sites. Instead, I placed it on my person and carried it with me. Eventually, my exploding Henry Hoke doll found its way inside my chest, and its ticking occasionally causes a hiccup that feels like it resets my heart. What you need to know is there are some people I can't imagine sleeping exploding everyone dolls. I have your arm tattooed on my name. (laughs) To deactivate the exploding Henry Hoke doll inside my chest now, I have this little incantation, my poem. My mama sent it to me last week. The final thing you need to know before I read my poem, what you need to know is it's not a poem, it's a poem because I wrote it when I was four. (laughs) Back when life was a porch swing, when my best friend was a drawing. I can't say I'm not nervous. It could really go either way, like red or blue wires in a climax. But now's the time. I'm
I'm going to read it to myself. Thank you. So it's, it's quite literally magical to be here at Skylight tonight. Um, my, first, uh, my first appearance here was a few years ago when I was finishing up my MFA at CalArts, and uh, I read pieces from a manuscript I just started, uh, a linked collection that eventually became the book of Endless Sleepovers. Um, a month after that reading, I moved to a place around the corner, and Skylight became my local bookstore. I've now attended countless great events here, but most serendipitously, it's where I discovered and purchased the books of Wendy C. Ortiz. Um, her writing style was an immediate revelation. Uh, her story is deeply affecting. I was grateful to have come across a voice that felt so necessary. The reclaiming that occurs in excavation took my breath away. It's a vital childhood memoir, a bold new classic of the form. Wendy guides us all through Los Angeles in a fearless exploration of self. No one writes the city as intimately, and Hollywood Notebook further develops this approach, finding universality by chronicling and fragments and other era of life. And now we have her genre-defying, genre-defining third book, Bruja, the Dreamoir, uh, which maps the subconscious realm. Uh, when Wendy and I met in person this year, we immediately bonded over the fact that we're both Tauruses with Scorpio book babies from, uh, from CCM Press. Uh, and in recent months, I've come to cherish our literary kinship and also rely on the remarkable consistency of her Instagram account. Um, I'm honored that we share a publication date and thrilled to be part of tonight's celebration. So uh, please join me in welcoming Wendy and Bruja. Thank you so much, Henry. Oh, okay, so I'm going to introduce the other readers tonight. They're going to read excerpts from Bruja. Um, and it's important to me, each and every person that I've invited to read here tonight is really important to me in ways that I don't know if everybody else knows, so I'm going to just tell you a little bit about why they're important to me. Our first reader is going to be Iris de Anda. She's a guanaca Tapatia poet who hosts the Writers Underground Open Mic at the Eastside Cafe every Thursday of the month, every third Thursday of the month, I should say, and the author of Code Switch, Fires from Mi Corazon. So I am not a fan of memes, of like inspirational things, but hers, oh, that was a loud but, sorry. Hers, I count on also in my Instagram. I feel like I read them and they speak to me and they clearly speak to a lot of people. And I just find her to be such a positive inspiration that I wanted her to be here and to hear, for each reader, I wanted to hear my words come out of their mouths and I'm really happy to have her tonight. After her will be Ashley Perez, she lives, writes, and causes trouble in Los Angeles. She has a strong affinity for tattoos, otters, cat mystery books, and actual cats, but has mixed feelings about pants. She holds an MFA in creative writing from Antioch University, Los Angeles, and she runs the literary site Arts Collide and does work of all varieties for Jaded Ibis Press and Midnight Breakfast. And I, yeah, I agree. Ashley is amazing, and I think of Ashley as my sister, whether or not she agrees with that but you know like I've always thought that and so I'm very happy to have her here tonight 
And also, Miriam Gerba. She's a writer, artist, and low-key bon vivant living at the southernmost tip of L.A. County. Her memoir, Mean, is forthcoming from Coffeehouse Press. I can't wait to read it. She is my Taurus sister. She is the person who makes me laugh the most. Um, she's a hilarious troublemaker, and I'm so happy to have her read from my book tonight. So we will start with Iris. Congratulations, Wendy. I just want to say that we are all the granddaughters of the witches they tried to burn. I decided that yes, I would have the baby. Only one month long, I walked around unfamiliar streets and considered that there were already subtle changes going on in my body. I looked for people to share my news with and clothes for the baby. I'm having a baby, I said to my father. He nodded, patted my shoulder. I took this as a sign of approval. I held open the bag of clothes my mother had saved, the clothes I wore as a baby. My father's face softened, and I saw it. He was impressed, impressed that my mother had saved the clothes, and impressed I would now be putting them to use. As I took each piece of clothing out of the bag and unfolded it to look at it, I kept coming across smaller and smaller clothes, 70s fashions made for tiny baby bodies. I refolded them and put them back in the bag. I decided to phone Tara and tell her the news. This is Spencer, the voice on the other end told me. Can I take a message? She's next door. I left a message for Tara to call me, not believing she would, but bursting with the news. I wanted her to tell me it was all right, that I was making a good decision. Later, the little blonde boy I was taking care of tried every last drop of my patience. I wasn't sure he was mine, but it was my responsibility to watch him, and so I had to make issue of the honey box. Please don't drink out of the box, I said, and picked him up and moved him away from the honey. The phone rang. I picked it up and heard Kurt's voice. Hello, he said. Hello, I said. My voice was muffled by congestion as if I, could, if I had a cold I wasn't aware of. We went on talking, a very easy, casual conversation. I hid the excitement I felt deep inside me. My therapist made a house call. She walked into my childhood bedroom. My single bed was against the south wall of the room, where I like it to be in the summertime. She stood next to the bed while I talked. My obsession, my confusion took over the next hour. When my time was up, I got out of bed and accompanied my therapist to the auditorium. The interior reassembled. The interior resembled a barnyard. My therapist and I watched animals do tricks. People threw food and other objects at the animals, and they caught every scrap in their mouths. We danced with great vigor with people dressed as various team mascots. I made up my mind to leave. My dancing was just not up to snuff. Congratulations, Wendy, and of course I am your sister, because you are mine. When I awoke, the electricity was out. Shelves of books had fallen. Pieces of ceiling tile hung loose. The air was not circulating. I looked around, embarrassed that I may have, might have fallen asleep at work. When I finally got the courage to walk through some of the rubble around my desk and ask someone if I had fallen asleep, 
Just as the words came out of my mouth, I realized we had all gone unconscious, that the power of the earthquake was like that of an explosion. Black burn marks tattooed the carpets and ceilings. We had been knocked about like toys into unconsciousness. I rubbed my eyes. This was a major catastrophic event. Injuries, sirens. It was five o'clock, but I wasn't sure I was going home. I drove a black truck to visit Olympia. I had cats with me. I parked outside the garage of the first place I ever mud wrestled, and when I opened the door of the truck, the cats kind of spilled out. The cats weren't mine, and I panicked. After unloading some containers of spoiled food, pasta, fruit, lentils, a bunch of cats caroused all around my feet. I was overwhelmed trying to figure out which one was the one I was missing. Some had little tiny slips of paper on the napes of their necks where you hold them when you want them to submit to the power of the mother cat. I saw numbers and some lettering on them, but none of it told me which cat was which. They all looked exactly alike. When I found the right one, I got him into the truck cab while all the others continued brushing against my feet and calves. I was the pallbearer. The body was contained in identical gift boxes, each the size of a watch box. My job was to put the body in order. As I worked, I noticed a box etched with the number eight, a box etched with a rose. Thank you. The above-ground pool held our bodies in its cavernous deep. Everyone at the hotel had access to it. I held on to the concrete edges and pushed myself up and down in the water while I watched a little boy get very close to a dolphin, though someone called it a whale, that sped around in our midst coming up near us, then plunging into the deep again. When the animal next surfaced, I saw it was indeed a small whale. A huge sea turtle lunged out of the water. The little boy threw himself at its shell playfully. I got angry. He acted as though this sea turtle was a toy. I swam around the edges of the pool looking for the boy's parents. They were drinking champagne even though it was morning. They looked pale, groggy, overdressed. They barely paid any attention to me as I calmly suggested that they teach their son not to play rough with the animals. I swam away when I realized they weren't listening. The pool changed shape altogether, became shallower with no animals. A television television was perched up in the corner of the gym-like room. The host of a local talk show announced that they would be doing a show on excommunication, which referred to excommunications from art groups. 
I smiled to myself and did laps. People around the pool began to get up and leave. Someone from school I didn't know well called out to me, are you coming? I'm already an expert in being excommunicated, I cried out, almost laughing. I moved from the pool to a rented room with a large bed where I reclined. I held the remote and surfed channels. Ren was there. He looked older, stayed, dressed conservatively. He was seducing me as usual. I couldn't get past his attire. While we made the motions of foreplay, I wondered about why he had completely changed his look. I wasn't sure I liked it. I was the pallbearer. The body was contained in identical gift boxes, each the size of a watch box. My job was to put the body in order. As I worked, I noticed a box etched with the number eight, a box etched with the rose. The doctor, a petite Chinese woman, arranged her tools as I awaited surgery. There were three silver trays. In one, something like cooked spinach sat in water. In the second, a healing salve that looked like green gelatin and which I knew would feel like menthol. The third tray had sharp, incision-making instruments. I lay on the table scared, knowing I would only be getting a local anesthetic. My belly was exposed. I was anxious. She might cut into my appendectomy scar. Adrenaline coursed through me. When she began making a long incision in the area next to my big toe, cutting down into the top of my foot, and I did not feel a thing, my body flushed hot with relief. Fake rocks outlined the perimeter of the shallow pool. I stood in a circle with many others, here for the same purpose as we watched a shark swimming, gliding between the farthest reaches of the circle. Panic rushed through me every time the shark went near someone. Then it came to me. There was nowhere to go, so I let it bite me. The shark grabbed onto my foot with its teeth. The pain was excruciating. I worried over the broken bones and flesh. I dissolved into the pain. When I awoke in the back of my mother's old station wagon, my first thought was that I hoped I was being taken to a hospital or somewhere far from more danger. When I looked at my foot, there were only red marks where teeth had been. My skin was smooth, without puncture, unwounded.
Eloise told me of a writer's residency I should attend, but warned me about the snakes along the way. If you can get past the snakes, you'll be fine, she said. I took a forest path that shifted from light to dark. The trees stood tall and skinny with white trunks, their branches blotting out the sky. The path became a very tight ledge, and I held on to the interlocking branches I found at eye level. Some of the branches, mossy and green, were not branches at all, but green snakes. Their heads stuck out in the few open spaces, still and waiting. I jumped off the ledge. The sun shone where I landed. I found a residence hall and saw Eloise. I interrupted her conversation to tell her that unfortunately there was no way I could get past those snakes. She seemed bothered by my presence, so I turned to leave. A green tortoise bus pulled up. Hippie-looking people tumbled off of it. I walked past them, back into the forest. The United States had closed all of its borders. I was in a hotel room when I found out, on the East Coast, near the Canadian border. There was a government man in a blue suit charged with calming large crowds of people. He told us that we could not leave the country, and in fact, we could not go anywhere but the immediate area. The crowd protested amongst itself. We could not believe this turn of events. I said aloud, perhaps we can go underwater and declare water sovereign. I was half joking. At the Canadian border, a woman read a prepared statement telling us why we could not cross. It was clear from the way she held her mouth tensely as she read that she had not written it herself. A number of us in the crowd protested her outright. In the small swell of panic, I contemplated what I would do, set fires, burn my way out of the country. I didn't realize I had a serious cut in the bottom of my foot until I walked down the carpeted stairs of the unfamiliar house. I left a trail of thick blood in my wake. I sat down in a chair and looked at the bottom of my foot, and the most tender part was a gash, and the blood wouldn't stop flowing. Sharon Olds helped me clean up the cut. Her manner was gentle, mothering. I grimaced and squealed in her hands with the feel of the liquid she used stinging my open wound. Jay and I were on the yellow bedspread in the poorly lit motel room, having sex in as many positions as possible. It had been a while since I had to deal with condoms. The taste of one in my mouth reminded me. Each sex act felt like a particular type of calisthenics, devoid of passion or affection. Jay wanted to try a new position called the Afghan wig. (laughs) It was actually something I'd never done. At least, it had never worked before. Now it did. (laughs) The enormous Lucky 13 tattoo on my left forearm was exquisitely detailed. The black was rich, and there were subtle flames and careful shading that made it jump off my skin. Still, I wasn't certain I wanted to have that on me for life. October. I gave birth to a baby girl. I was at my mother's house. I was dressed in a white half-slip and long-sleeved white silk shirt. A cat asked me if I would nurse her. I knew it was weird, 
I looked around. I could find a private place. I said yes. In my childhood bedroom, I situated the cat on one breast and the little girl on the other. I called the little girl Lupita. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all of the readers. And um, if there's any Q&A, like if you have questions, I mean, there's weird stuff in here, so maybe you have questions, or maybe not, but the Q&A, if you want to do that, we can do that. There's also a book signing, and so I hope you'll stick around. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.